Our scripture reading this morning is taken from the book of Daniel, chapter 4, beginning at verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the twelve months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my power, my mighty power as a royal residence, and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven times shall pass over you, until you have learnt that the most high rules the, the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men, and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his knees were like birds' claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will in the host of heaven, and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand, or say to him, What doest thou? At the same time my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to abase. A story about a king or a president of the United States two days before the election or a story about you and me. What I want to do with this text is take almost all of the time we have to talk about your story and mine in this text and then the last maybe three or four minutes and apply it to the election on Tuesday and its implications for Mr. Bush and Mr. Dukakis and you as the electorate. Daniel describes this story as a pathway of a man from pride of man to praise of God through a valley of humiliation. I think that's pretty obvious, isn't it? He moves from pride to praise through an awful, bestial valley of humiliation. And that is the pathway that every human being has to go to heaven. Now, let me try to explain to you why I think this is everybody's story who gets to glory. Ever since Adam sinned, People have been born with Adam's nature, 
Now, what was the essence of that first sin? Which worked its way into humanity as part of our very disposition. Let me try to state what I think the essence of Adam's first fundamental sin was. It was the abandonment of childlike dependence on God in favor of godlike dependence on self. The abandonment of childlike dependence on God in favor of godlike dependence on self. And that's the way we are by nature. And therefore, everybody's story who gets to glory is written in this text that Wilfred just read. Not just a king, not just a president, but everybody. And that's bad news that we are born proud. Isaiah 2.11 says, The mighty looks or the haughty looks of man shall be brought low, and the pride of men shall be humbled and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. God hates pride. So it's bad news that I, by nature, have a proud disposition, just like you. Real bad news. But God not only hates pride, he loves proud sinners. This is the backbone of biblical revelation. For God so loved a world of proud sinners that he sent his only begotten son to break them of their pride or to pay the penalty of their pride and deliver them from the power of their pride. Listen to the way that the Lord Jesus himself states his goal. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus came into the world to convert people from godlike dependence on self to childlike dependence on God. To reverse what happened at the fall. To change our fundamental nature as self-reliant and self-exalting people. He provided a path, and the path leads from the praise of man through the valley of humiliation up into the praise of God. Did I say praise? I meant pride of man. Pride. We take pride, and we lead to praise of God, and we go through the valley of humiliation. Now, he describes this path in three stages. So let's just take each one and let the example of Nebuchadnezzar be ourselves. You put yourself now in the place of Nebuchadnezzar and walk with him through these three stages, through these three stages. The first stage, we're 500 years now, early 500s, before Christ in Babylon. The Jews are in captivity. Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. He's a great king. And he has a great kingdom and he knows it. And he swelled with pride. So we see stage one described in verse 30. The king said, Is not this great Babylon 
which I have built by my mighty power, the royal residence, and for the glory of my majesty. Now, let's just take that sentence. Can we learn from that sentence what the essence of pride is? I think we can. It has two parts as I analyze that confession of pride. Two parts, and they are capsulated in the words by and for. Let me read it again so that you can see that. The king said, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? By my power, for my glory is the slogan of pride. What do they mean now? What does he mean by his mighty power? I think that little phrase means I love, I savor the thought that I am the source and origin and initiator of all my greatness. Oh, I love to think about that. That pleases me. Oh, I get pleasure thinking how I thought of that. Aqueduct. I thought of that army arrangement. By my wisdom and my... Oh, I get so much pleasure in dwelling upon the fact that I am the one who built this kingdom. It comes from me. There's not a person in this room who doesn't have that kind of taste bud still lingering in your soul needing to be crucified. The taste of dwelling upon yourself as the originator of a great idea or achievement. Well, take the word for, for my glory. What does that signify? Well, same kind of thing. It means I love to think of myself receiving the glory that people ordinarily give to those who have great achievements. Oh, I love to see people's admiration. I love to hear their applause. I am just in love with and addicted to the praise of men. Oh, how I need the approval of other people. It makes me feel so good to be lifted up on people's admiration and to be noticed and taken thought of. That's my meat and potatoes. That's my dessert. My chocolate sundae is the admiration of people. By my power and for my glory is the slogan of every human heart before the valley of humiliation. Now, watch out here. Easy mistake can be made here. Satan, my guess is, is whispering in some of your minds a very subtle lie. It goes like this. Some are saying, well, if that's what pride is, it's clearly not my problem because I am a loser. I don't feel self-sufficient at all. I don't feel like anybody's going to exalt me, and I'm certainly not going to exalt myself because I'm ugly. 
or I'm dumb, or I'm weak. So you go and preach your sermon to those other people who have it all together and boast about it, but it has nothing to do with me because I'm a loser. That's a lie. To say pride is not my problem because I'm a loser. I did not say that the essence of pride is the achievement of self-sufficiency. I didn't say that it was the achievement of self-exaltation. What I said was, it's the enjoyment of self-sufficiency. The enjoyment of self-exaltation. And if you don't have something you enjoy, you want it. You crave it. You die for it. And you feel bad that you don't have it. But the desire, the drive, the subtle deep root motive is still there. One person may go to a party and brag and boast and draw attention to himself because he feels like he's cool, got it all together, got a few neat jokes, he's dressed just right, he's handsome, he's got it all together so he works to get attention because it's likely that it'll be good attention. And another person goes to the same party so nervous, so insecure, so fearful that they hide in little corners and hope that nobody except maybe one or two very close friends will notice that they are there. And both of these persons may be driven by the unbelief of pride. The strong person doesn't believe that the grace of God is needed. The weak person doesn't believe that the grace of God is sufficient. God is insulted. And man is exalted by both. One person is fearful that they won't get praise, and so they hide. And another person is hopeful that they will get it, and so they brag. Same disease, different symptoms. Watch it now. Satan is subtle beyond all human reasonings to convince us that pride is not our problem. Well, I declare on the basis of Scripture, it's everybody's problem. It is the universal disease. Whether you are a loser in the eyes of the world or a winner in the eyes of the world, pride is your problem and mine. By my power... And for my glory, I have built this great Babylon, or perhaps, oh, I would have loved to have built one. Stage two, by the grace of God, the valley of humiliation. And don't miss that word grace. The only reason God bends our stiff neck and presses our face into the grass of the field of humiliation is because that's where the streams of life flow. That's the only reason he breaks our back. If he must, he will break your neck to get your face to the ground because he loves you. He loved Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 31, 
the valley of humiliation. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. You shall be driven from among men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. The reason I call this a valley of humiliation is because it's a long way down from being the king of Babylon to being a beast in the field. It's a long way down. Why did God do it this way for Nebuchadnezzar? And why did he inspire Daniel to tell us this story? A beast with fingernails as long as birds' claws and hairs growing out like eagles' feathers, eating grass. He'd gone insane for seven times, days, months, weeks, years, we're not told. Why? I think for this main lesson, to communicate in the most vivid way he could to Nebuchadnezzar and then to us, that pride is bestial. When a human being tries to become like God, he succeeds in becoming an ox, an ass, we would say. It's asinine to be proud. That's the message of the valley of humiliation. You're acting like an ox. I will therefore make you eat grass like an ox. If you want to be a beast toward me, be a beast toward me. The message of the valley of humiliation is pride is bestiality. If you've never been there, if you've never tasted the bitter grass, In the valley of humiliation, go there. Go there. Satan will show you every manner of path around it, just like he did Jesus in the wilderness. Make bread. Bow down to me. Jump off the temple. Don't walk the road of humiliation, whatever you do, because he knew he'd be undone by that. And Satan will be undone in your life by the valley of humiliation. Don't do a detour around the valley of humiliation. Let it come. Walk right into it. Taste the bitter grass of the bestiality of your own pride. And then, when by God's grace you have eaten, follow me now up out of the valley to stage three. We move from the pride of self through the valley of humiliation up to the praise of God in verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. Don't miss the significance of that, by the way. That's what you do when you're in the valley. I lifted my eyes to heaven And my reason returned to me, just like in the prodigal son story. 
my reason. It's irrational. It's irrational to be proud. My reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever and ever. Now, let me ask you on the basis of this verse, what is the biblical opposite of pride? My answer would be, the biblical opposite of pride in the strength of men is a song of praise to the sovereignty of God. The biblical opposite of pride in man is a song of praise to the sovereignty of God. He's singing here. Let's just go ahead and read the rest of his psalm in verse 34. His dominion, talking about God now. This is Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, singing after the valley of humiliation. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, like me in the USA, electorate and Bush and Dukakis. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what are you doing? That's the song that's on the lips of a man who has just soared out of the valley of humiliation. The opposite of pride is praise for the sovereignty of God. Two revolutions happen in the human soul as you come up out of the valley of humiliation. One revolution is intellectual. The other revolution is emotional. Let's talk about the intellectual revolution for a minute. What I mean is this. As you move through and begin to come up out of the valley of humiliation, a Copernican intellectual revolution happens in your thought life. A new thought becomes the sun around which the planets of your thinking revolve. Formerly, it was you and your glory and your praise and your acceptance and your affirmation among men. And now... It is God in all of his sovereignty. Now, I get this from verse 32. In verse 32. um, It says that he must learn. He will be left in the field until... You have learned, now your version might say know or acknowledge that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Something must be learned as you come up out of the valley of humiliation. A new thought that integrates all other thoughts, namely, God rules and his will is sovereign in the disposition of human authority and power. That was not in Nebuchadnezzar's thought world before the Valley of Humiliation. He went down and he went to school down there. Theology school, seminary, divinity school, Sunday school. Wherever he learned it, he learned it in the Valley of Humiliation. And so there is a... A Copernican revolution 
intellectually, when you come up out of the valley of humiliation, now the sovereignty of God is the sun in the solar system of your thought world. But he didn't just learn that in his head. He had been persuaded in his head that the slogan, by my strength and for my glory, is a bestial slogan. He learned that in his head. But, oh, he learned it so much more deeply than that, didn't he? He learned it in his heart. And that's why, in verse 34, he is singing, I blessed the Most High. I praised and honored him. That's not the talk of a dry, dead, dusty theological lecture about the sovereignty of God. That is a song. It's a doxology. It's praise. It's joy in what he has discovered. I'm real suspicious of people who like to discuss the sovereignty of God with no song on their lips. Real suspicious of people who want to check out your your T's and your I's so that they're crossed and dotted just right. And you can't see any heart-bursting delight in this doctrine. Very suspicious, because I know from personal experience and from watching how subtle pride is, even among those who have made the intellectual discovery that one rules in heaven and gives the authority to man as he wills. So when I say, what's the opposite of pride in man? The answer is not pondering The sovereignty of God. That's not the answer. The answer is praising the sovereignty of God. The hands go up. The eyes alight. The voice sings. The heart pounds. Or it isn't the opposite of pride. There is a song to God. A childlike, delightful, believing, enjoying song to the praise of the God who reigns. Above, And that's why the third stage of this pathway is so full of glory, so full of joy. It is not merely thought. It is the depth of delight in the sovereignty of God. So there's the pathway of every person in this text. Every person in this room is somewhere on this pathway. Pride of man, valley of humiliation, Further up and further in to the praise of God's sovereignty. And now let me just close with these three minutes on the elections this Tuesday. One main point. God will choose the president on Tuesday. God will choose the president on Tuesday. Now, two things that does not mean and two things it does mean. Number one, it does not mean don't bother voting. Because the text says God does according to his will in the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the USA, which means that God will choose the president on Tuesday by choosing who Votes. If you want to be an instrument in his hand, 
vote. And if you don't, then don't. You will be in God's hands. Don't ever draw the conclusion from the sovereignty of God that inactivity is rational. It is irrational. The second thing it does not mean is that God will approve of the policies who of the man who gets elected. It does not mean that God will approve of the policies of the man who gets elected. This is extraordinarily crucial to understand. The sovereign rule of God over sinful men is no endorsement of their deeds. Store that away. It applies to a dozen areas of life. Sovereign rule over sinful men implies no endorsement of their deeds. His purposes are very strange. There are two things, however, that it does mean that God will choose the president on Tuesday. One, it means that the winner should not boast. He should not be like Nebuchadnezzar at stage one who said, by my power, by my ingenuity, I've gotten myself this presidency. And if he does, let us weep and pray. And the second thing that it means is you and I, whether our candidate gets elected or not, should be mightily confident and encouraged that God reigns and his purposes will be accomplished in this world. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess someday that Jesus and nobody else is Lord. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. Let's stand for prayer. My closing prayer as we unite our hearts, Father, is that wherever each one of these, my listeners, is, on the pathway from pride to humiliation to praise, that according to your word and by your spirit, they would right now take another step. Toward heaven. In Jesus' name I pray.